Welcome to Guarding Talk, back on to when you are FM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Scott, great to see you once again. Thank you, thank you. It's beautiful and crisp out there at the moment. Yeah, nice and crisp. A very nice, nice winter's afternoon. Yeah, just a gentle breeze. Must be out of the west by the feel of it. Uh, there's oh, my I'll, compass I'll just, directions working. If I just lick my finger and stick, my, stick it up in the air, I won't be able to tell you. That's the way the wind's coming from. There we go. Scott Sharp, <laughs> what have you got for us today? Well, I thought we'd talk about cherry blossoms there out of the moment. Uh, lavender getting ready to flower and an indoor plant, the parlour palm. The parlour palm? Yeah, very nice Victorian era sort of plant. Sounds like something could be in New Orleans for some reason. I don't yeah, know why I thought that. It does sound like that or in the uh, conservatory. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like we're playing Cluedo now. It's Gardening Talkback. And we've got Russell from Morpeth, and he's got a question about pruning pear trees. Hello, Russell. How can we help you? Yeah, g'day, Scott. Yeah, I've got a friend of mine who lives out at Woodville. Yeah. And, you know, like it's a couple of hectares there. The dirt's not real good. Um, it's got two pear trees. It, the smaller one's two metres high. It's about 10 years old. And about five metres away is the same one, another one. It's three metres high and sort of, they're on tank, she's on tank water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're not getting sort of really well looked after. They're struggling on every year, but, you know, like one of them, the smaller one, has never, ever had any fruit on it. The bigger one gets fruit every year. Not that we want it, not that we want it. The possums, <laughs> the possums and the birds get it, so that's not a worry that way. I just wondered why, and also, too, I wondered if I pruned them. Because yesterday I put a bag of poultry manure under each one and I bought some mulch this morning and going to put that on top. So, you know, like if we get a dreadful summer like last summer, you know, I'd go there and sort of give them, because they're only on tank water, give them, say, three bucketfuls every three days. I just wonder how I can look after them, whether I can prune them back a little bit. Yeah, you certainly can give a, a pear tree a prune back. Uh, they they do like getting tidied up, uh, you know, a bit like an apple tree does every year after they've, uh, you know, dropped their leaves. Uh, and of course, with a pear, like most fruit trees, they, they fl- you know, they fruit and flower off the new growth. So bringing it back down to a manageable size is always a good thing to do. Uh, look, as to why there's sort of one next to the other, and, and one's doing the right thing and the other's not. It's always been one of the you know the great mysteries of life to me. I never can work out exactly why plants do that. Um, but often it's it, like you're doing the right thing. Uh, you've given it some fertiliser. You're mulching around it. Uh, sometimes just to prune back, just spring something into life and, and off they go. Uh, so I, I would definitely uh, give it a, a very good prune back. Uh, you know, you could at least take a third of the plant off. Uh, if you wanted to, and perhaps even a little bit more if you want to tidy it up some more. Okay, thanks, mate. That's all right. Yeah, I uh, just wondered about it. They're bare at the moment, as you probably know. Mm. So I'd like you stuck into them now before they start shooting. You know? Yeah, look, definitely do it now. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, pear trees, uh, like apple trees, aren't going to you know fruit very well here. Uh, I guess on the eastern side of the ranges, they do need that chill. Uh, yeah. That's why you see them over the western side. Woodville, yeah, I think you'll probably get some chill out there enough to uh, to make it happen. You know, out uh, around Cessnock, out the mountains out there uh, also. Look, the other thing, uh, you need to get some uh, potassium as well into the soil to try and promote that, uh, that flowering with a pear tree. Uh, I know you've given it some poultry manure. Uh, that's great. It'll pro- you know, promote the uh, green leafy growth on the plant. 
but uh, you know they don't like too much nitrogen pairs. So make sure you get some potassium and uh, give it a feed with that. You can get uh, sulfate of potash as either a uh, in a liquid form, or you can get it in a powder as well. Yeah, some of that. Yeah, we'll definitely use that. Sprinkle some of that around. Uh, start watering it in. And and I always say it to people, you can't just use it once and expect it's going to work. You have to start building that potash up in the soil over yes. time. Yes, okay. Okay, good on you, Russell. Well, Thank I'll you. I'll give it a go. I'll let you know what happens. Okay, that'll be great. We we always love hearing success stories back here. Okay, thanks, okay. mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye. We need like a jingle or a bell or something when that goes off. Well, yeah, when something goes right for us. Another gardening talkback success story. <laughs> As opposed to so, something going wrong ding. for us. <laughs> We've got Ruth now from Newcastle, and she wants to know if she can water a plant with water from a hot water bottle. Hello, Ruth. You're getting a bit cold at night, are you? Yes. I just didn't know whether in the morning when it was cold, you know, the water was cold, whether being in contact with rubber was any good for plants. No, no, look, that, that's perfectly fine to get to do that. Uh, I guess you just have to make sure it's gone cold, though. Uh, I, oh. I happened to come across a hot water bottle in the bed the other night, or actually the other morning, and it was still quite warm, so hot water bottles are a lot better than they used to be in the back in the day. Yeah, no, they're usually cold, and I thought, what a waste of water every time you tip it out, especially if there's restrictions on. Yeah, look, absolutely, you can use that uh, on your plants. Not a problem doing that. Uh, I probably wouldn't use it to make your cup of tea in the morning, though. That no, wouldn't no, be too pleasant. no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you very much. Okay, thank you for the okay. call, Ruth. I do. Bye. Bye. Why couldn't you put it if it's still hot? Well, like, that's one way. You just leave a tea bag in there overnight. Job job done. That's two, three jobs in one. Three jobs in one. It might have to be rubbery, though. That'd be the problem. Fair. Yeah. Plant will handle it. I don't know my taste buds with that. When you get used to it, I think. Yeah, well, over time, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gardening Talk back on 2 URFM. If you've got any questions for Scott Sharp, 49216216. And we've got Maxine from Singleton, and she's got a question about pruning hibiscus. Good afternoon, Maxine. How can we help you? Hey, Scott. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, is it time now to prune hibiscus or can you prune them any time of the year? Well, they are a pretty tough plant and, and you virtually can prune them any time of the year. The only thing about pruning them in, you know, say January or so, is you start to miss out on that flowering, that beautiful flush they get at that time of the year when it starts to get humid. So now, now is getting towards a good time of year. The only proviso is that uh, you know if you do prune now, in a couple of weeks' time, you'll start getting new shoots coming out there. And if we get a cold snap again, and you're in Singleton, uh, then you might get some burn off of that. So all right, the, more or less wait until winter's not finished. Yeah, I, I reckon you know give it another two or three weeks where you are, and then go out and give it a prune uh, because then it'll be you know two or three weeks later that you start getting those fresh new shoots coming out and uh, then I think they'll be fairly safe you know once we get into September Great and can you prune them right back harsh? Yes you certainly can I think it makes a much better plant uh, with hibiscus because they can get a little sort of straggly and, and stringy so a good prune back's a nice thing to do with it uh, if you want to as well you can give it some cow manure they really love cow manure I was going to ask you what yeah. to give them <laughs> You were reading my mind. Oh, yeah, look, we were. We were. We have that extra <laughs> talent here, Greg and I. Extra talent. ESP. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, some cow manure, wait a couple more weeks and cut them right back. You can cut them back until there's no leaves? Or? Oh, look, yes, you certainly can, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. It'll, and, it'll uh, only grow. It'll mandarin only grow. Tree. Yes. What's happening with your mandarin tree? Oh, nothing. No, <laughs> 
Uh, no, it's been going great. Yeah. It's only a, a small one, a medium mandarin tree. Mm-hmm. This year it had about 50 beautiful large mandarins, mm-hmm. and they were beautiful. Uh, can I cut it back now? Yes, you can, you can give that a cut back as well now if you'd like to. So how much should I cut it back? Well, probably about a third. But uh, as I was taught, saying last week, you know, in drought, uh, you know, citrus can be cut right back down to the ground. So you can't be quite harsh with them. Uh, but look, really just about a third of the plant should do the trick for you. Oh, great. Well, it was marvellous this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and where do you? What's your opinion about the the skin on the mandarin? I I'm all for the loose skin one because it's much easier to peel and eat. I thought you meant. Uh, eating am one. I? And mine, I like that. Oh, very good because I, I can't stand the ones where you have to get your fingernails in under there and sort of. No, mine just peels straight off and beautiful. Oh, very good, very good. Yeah, everyone who has them because I'm by myself. And I'll give them away. Oh, very Everyone nice. Everyone loves them. Well, you know where we are, Maxine. <laughs> you know where we are. <laughs> Thank you for that, that, Scott. Okay, you have a nice afternoon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I thought you meant eating the skins. No, no, you don't eat the skins. Now, it's about the peel. did you have? The, the peeling of a cruel childhood. I think that goes without saying. Uh, you've met my mother. Um, but look, I, yeah, it's the, it's the peeling of them, and I don't like seeds in mandarins either. That's just not good. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a pleasant look either when you see someone spitting out a seed. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, I've never been a big orange person. Great for juicing, but I've never actually sort of peeled and eaten them. What do you get for, we forget sea scurvy. Well, that's a point, isn't it? I just take the limes in my gin and tonic. Just Tried eat. to make pineapple fritters the other night. That was another interesting thing to do with plants. <laughs> Got there. <laughs> Let's move on to Craig from okay. Charlestown. And he has light green leaves on a mandarin and mango trees. And what do you recommend to feed them with? Hello, Craig. What's happening with your plants? Hello, Scott. Yeah, the both trees are bared uh, very well, but they look a bit crap. The leaves are light. On the uh, emperor mandarin tree, yes, and on the Bowen mango tree. Okay, so look, they are going to need a feed if they're starting to lighten out. So citrus are very heavy feeders. Are yours in uh, actually in the ground or is it in a pot, mate? Oh, both in the ground. Great. In okay. the front yard. Yeah. So look, to man- be admired by everybody. <laughs> Mandarins very heavy feeders, so you do need to be fertilising them about three or four times a year. Uh, I'd certainly recommend using some poultry manure on it. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, don't be shy with the poultry manure. You know, put half a bag or so. How big's the plant? Oh, they're probably about three and a half metres tall. Oh, okay, so they're quite, they're yeah. quite well established. Uh, yeah. Look, on something like that, you could even use more than that if you wanted to. Uh, yeah. The other thing with citrus trees is good to give them a prune back um, every year just to keep them back down to a, a manageable height. And, yeah, because yeah, like we were talking to Maxine before, uh, you know that the the, gr- the fruit just goes up on the new growth, so eventually it gets out of out of reach. So it is good to give it a, a prune back. Now, mate, with your mango tree, uh, they would prefer a bit of uh, cow manure, so you're going to have to get a bag of each, I reckon, and okay. and uh, give it a good feed uh, with some cow manure. Yeah, so I uh, prune them back, but I still need a step ladder to get up to the top of the fruit. Yeah, well, give it a prune back even harder if you want to then. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's no reason you can't do that. Next, I'll lose fruit next season, but wouldn't you, if you prune it back too hard? Uh, look, not really. It really should come on the new growth. It depends how hard you prune it back. Uh, you know, you still might get a smattering of fruit, but uh, might not be quite as much as you want. Right. I use sulphate of potash. 
Oh, excellent. Yeah. The, uh, hasn't fixed the uh, light leaf problem. No, look, that won't do. That'll only promote the, the fruiting and flowering of the plant. Yeah, OK. Well, I'll get on to that tomorrow. So, uh, so the, the, the other thing that. you could do, Craig, is you can get some trace elements as well uh, and you can just water those into the soil around the plant because it might be that, uh, you know, the mandarin's got a magnesium deficiency. Uh, look, certainly the poultry manure will help, uh, but if you get some trace elements just to keep on top of things. Yeah, okay, sounds good. Okay, good on you, Craig. Um, Thank you for the call, mate. Cheers. All right, bye. And we've got Doug from Burigal, and he wants to obtain a dwarf dwarf poinsettia. (laughs) Hello, Doug. Yes, good afternoon. Dwarf poinsettia. Yes. What what are you going to be using it for? Oh, just a garden plant. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so dwarf poinsettias, they're mostly prevalent around Christmas time when, uh, you know, the nurseries grow the poinsettias, you know, for the festive season. So you might have to wait until then, I'd say. Okay. It it would be unusual for someone to have a poinsettia, a nursery to have a poinsettia at this time of year. Oh, right. Well, they're just finished flowering. I I, I thought, I know they're going to be deciduous from here on, but... uh, I uh, just wondering if they were available at this time of the year. That was all. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I'd, I'd be I'd be doubtful. For your best choice, I would certainly wait until the end of the year. Uh, look, then you can get all sorts of different colours as well. You can get pinks. You can get whites. Uh, you can get the reds. The larger the larger growing ones. Uh, yeah. So look, as we get around to Christmas, uh, not too far away. I reckon always around the corner of Christmas. Right, yes. <laughs> and what height do they grow to? Uh, so the, the dwarf ones. You know, the other thing I, I heard back in the day, and I'm not sure if it's true or not, I should have made more investigation, that to get the dwarf poinsettias, they used to actually like put a dwarfing agent on them, something oh. to retard their growth. Uh, so that might be something to ask about as well, the particular right. variety that you're getting. Right. Yeah, So, uh, but otherwise, you know, about, about a metre or so. Thank you very much. Okay, I'll thank hang, you. I'll hang loose. Okay, good right. on you. Thank you. All right, bye. Talk to you. Bye bye. We've got Jenny now from Fern Bay, and she's looking for a plant for a hedge. Hello, Jenny. How can we help you? Oh, good day. Um, I'm going to put a hedge in the front of my place, um, and it's not for privacy or anything. Yeah. It's just to look nice. Now I'm at Fern Bay and we're on sand. I, I guessed that part of the equation. Yeah, Fern Bay's a pretty sandy place, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, so look, I was thinking, how tall do you want it to get to? Oh, it doesn't have to be tall. Yeah. Uh, so you know, um, yeah, it doesn't need to be a tall one, or it'll sh- shut my windows off. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and no, understand. Look, I think an ideal plant for you is uh, one called Indian hawthorn. Uh, there's a variety called Oriental Pearl. It only gets oh, about a metre, a metre and a half tall. And uh, they're a really, really tough plant. They will grow into a hedge for you. They're prunable. Uh, and you can get them with either a white or a pink flower. So, okay, so that one's called, called again? Indian Hawthorn. It's has it got thorns on it? No, 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 it doesn't. No, its um, its name isn't a descriptor of it. It's, it's okay. a really nice little plant. Right. Uh, very, very tough, low water usage. Up there yeah. in the conditions at Fern Bay, I think it would be the ideal plant for you. Oh, okay. So just go and ask for Indian... Indian Hawthorn. And there's a whole lot of different varieties of them. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, larger growing. But the one I'm thinking about is called Oriental Pearl. It's a shorter uh, okay. variety, so I think it would be ideal for you. Okay. Thank you so much for that. Not a problem, Jenny. You have a lovely afternoon. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Cheers, thank you, Jenny. We've got Deborah now from Caves Beach, and she wants to plant a hydrangea. Hey, Deborah. Uh, yeah, hydrangeas. Oh, how how yes. can we help you? Yes, I've got a little hydrangea that I bought from like just a local market, so I'm not sure what type it is. Um, but I live right near the beach, and we get a few winds, like we get the winds off the water. Yeah. Um, I I think. Because it's south-facing, I think that it'll be fine because it won't get too much sun. I'm just worried about the winds. Yeah, strangely, hydrangea is actually a, it can be quite a tough plant. Uh, you know, most people think about it living, you know, in sort of grandma's garden in the shade, and you're getting those beautiful blue or you know pink or white flowers off them. But yep. I know that up around Bar Beach Avenue in Bar Beach, uh, there was a, a house there with hydrangeas all around it. Uh, look, sometimes they'd look a bit tatty if we got a big southerly buster coming through. But out mm-hmm. in the full sun, they were. They were getting the salt conditions oh. up there and the wind. And yep. I think hydrangea can be quite a tough plant. Uh, I remember in Merriweather, um, around near uh, Merriweather Beach, there was a house there. I went and had to prune some hydrangeas one time. It's probably been knocked down in a big mansion, being built in its place now, so the hydrangea's not there anymore. But certainly it uh, it went very, very well there in those conditions. So I think hydrangeas are a plant that actually will withstand some salt, probably not. Uh, you know, directly, uh, you know, in a first line salt position, but certainly, uh, you know, a, a you know a street back or so, you know, a couple of streets back, and in a protected position, uh, very good plant to have. Okay, uh, well, it's not really all that protected. Yeah, uh, we do get the full on um, blast from the ocean. We're quite close. We're not the first street, but <laughs> we're kind of up a side street, so yeah, there's not the- a lot. Oh, look, it's not blocking us. You've, you've got it there. I'd give it a try and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, look, they're quick yeah. growing. Uh, you're going to work out, you know, very quickly if it, uh, you know, if it's going to work for you or not. Right. And the other yep. great thing about hydrangea, if it's not working, dig it back out. Uh, very tough plant, and uh, get it into, uh, you know, another position. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, one, one other quick yeah, question. Absolutely. Um, with the lawn, yes. uh, I've got quite a few weeds, uh, but I've also got two dogs. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, what what would be safe for the dogs to use on these weeds? Look, with with those weed killers, I I don't you know have any real concerns about the your animals, uh, you know. When you're using those poisons, the main mm-hmm. thing to do though is to make sure that it's dried off. Uh, most of these poisons are sort of a salt based, uh, you know, those selective herbicides that you get that kill out bindies or flat leaf weeds. So yeah. you really just need to spray. Uh, then leave it for five or six hours until it's dried off, and then the animals can go back out there after that. So if they went to eat some of the grass. It wouldn't hurt them? Look, I, I don't think so. That would be something you probably have to talk to a, a vet about, but right, in very yeah. small amounts, I can't imagine that that would be an issue for an animal. Okay, great, because I've been worried about that. <laughs> yeah, but certainly once it's dry, you know, it's 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 not going to, you know, be harmful for the animals to get out there and walk on it. Right, yeah. great. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Deborah. Thanks a lot. Okay, Thanks, bye-bye. bye-bye. So we've got Val from Adora Creek. And she's looking to know what plants would you soup pots on the western side of the house. Hello, Val. How can we help you? Ah, I've got a oh, it's rather a large garden at the side there, and I wanted to put some pots 
down the side. But what it's on the western side, and in the summer it gets very hot. Yes. So what is the best shrubs to put there that would be all right in the summer months? Yeah, we were just talking to uh, Jenny from Fern Bay earlier on, and I was recommending to her uh, using Indian hawthorn. Uh, it's a really, really tough plant. Uh, she's got sandy conditions up there, so that would be ideal for you in a hot spot. Uh, where there's, you know, you've got the plants in a pot and they're going to dry out a little bit more readily. Uh, the other mm-hmm. plants you can be using are lavender as well. They love being dry, so no oh, problems okay. using lavender. You get plenty of flowers off them as well in the uh, spring and summer months. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in saying that, how high do they grow? Yeah, so there's a whole lot of different varieties of lavender available now. Uh, there's been some uh, ones developed here in Australia as well, the, the B range, and uh, they can only be, you know, 30 to 40 centimetres high. So uh, oh, you know, there's right. quite yeah, a lot of yeah. different... The old Italian ones, you know, they get a bit taller, uh, but certainly the new varieties, uh, you know, quite compact, heaps of flowers compact, on them. Yeah. yeah. And, and low, low water usage. One? What yeah. was that first one you recommended, Indian... Indian hawthorn, and the one I recommended to uh, Jenny was uh, called Oriental Pearl, and you can get a white or a uh, a pink flower uh, on those ones. Oh, righto then, yeah, yeah. 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 Now, it gets very hot there, and I know you've got to water it all the Mm. time, but I was just wondering what would survive there. And the the other thing as well, have you thought about uh, just having some herbs out there as well, some thyme, some parsley, uh, you know, just they love being in in the heat and drying out like that, so there's a couple of good plants for you. When you get those winds, would it would it kill them? No, like no, 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 not thyme or parsley, tough as nails. Oh right, yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks for your help. Okay, not a problem, Val. Have cool. a lovely afternoon. You too. Thank okay. you. Bye. And we've got Kevin now from Taralba, and he's got a bit of a cricket problem. Hey, Kevin, how can we help you? Yeah. Good morning. Good afternoon. This Good. Good afternoon. I just had a question about cricket. I've got a cricket infestation in my backyard. Uh, I've tried the usual soapy water. That doesn't work. Uh, went to the nursery and they gave me some beetle and grub killer. That, mm-hmm. that didn't work. Um, I was wondering whether you have a suggestion. Yeah, look, uh, the, the soapy water generally just drives them up to the surface and uh, then you have to get the magpies in to do their, their dirty work uh, for you. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, so it still can work. You just have to make sure that, you know, there's some birds around that are going to come in and uh, have, a, have a bit of a chomp on your crickets. Yeah. Uh, look, when the, the, the lawn grub and cricket uh, poisons that you get, they do work. Uh, very important as to when you use them, though. Uh, my, yeah, my recommendation is to always go out around dusk, uh, you know, even when it's a little bit dark, and that's when they start to come back up to the surface to feed. Uh, okay. Using those poisons in the middle of the day, in the afternoon, the, the insects are down a lot deeper. Uh, they're, you know, they're hiding away from the heat of the day. Uh, and so you don't get as great a result. So definitely leaving it until uh, later on in the evening uh, when it cools off and they come back up to the surface to feed. That's that's when you go and do it. Always do it exactly according to the instructions. Sometimes you have to uh, you know, use the chemical and then irrigate it lightly to get it further down into the soil, but yeah, always yeah. just read the instructions and do it exactly as it says. Yeah, okay then. Um, I was on Dr Google there this morning and uh, and they, they said the uh, the dishwashing liquid... But uh, they mentioned that something like a, a mixture of two tablespoons for two gallons, I think. I mean, that's, that's probably fairly diluted, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, look, again, uh, that, that, all that's going to do, dishwashing liquid, is, is drive the, bring it, bring drive them back up to the surface, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I've got plenty of magpies around here. 
Yeah, well, look, keep, keep on trying that and try and get them in. Uh, you know, you might have to give them some, you know, taste tempters to get them hanging around a little bit more. Um, yeah. so, uh, but then uh, certainly, yeah, use that uh, soapy water technique to try and get the, the crickets up to the surface. And uh, apparently the magpies, they can hear, you know, very, very well. They can hear them coming up to the surface and they'll go in and have their peck where they know they're about to appear. Yeah, right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> okay. intelligent bird, the magpie. Very intelligent. Yes. Thank you very much for your advice. Okay, thanks for that, Kevin. Bye. Bye-bye. Something a magpie fact on this show every week. Oh, I love magpies. Uh, and I, now I think I was telling you off air about how noisy they are last week. Apparently, they're as oh, noisy true, as a yeah. helicopter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can like, be as noisy as a helicopter. Yeah, seventy-five to eighty decibels. I still don't believe that fact. Oh, I know. And like you said, well, <laughs> when have you been standing next to a magpie and a helicopter <laughs> at the same time? <laughs> where do you go? Where, did, where do you turn? Probably the magpie way. Yeah, I think so. The blades from the helicopter be yeah a little bit more dangerous. We've got Pam now from A Bottles Bay, and she's got a question about Lily Pilly with scale. Yes, hi, Scott. Look, thanks for taking my call. I do enjoy your program. I just have a Lily Pilly that's got scale and sooty mould. Ooh, yes, okay. They go hand in hand. How bad is it? Um, yes, it's quite bad. Okay. Yes, so... I didn't realise until trimming just before the winter, and I thought I've tried to treat it with the natural... Um, uh, sunflower oil mm-hmm. and then the detergent. Yes. I did that three times but it didn't do anything. So then Malathon um, used that and that hasn't done anything either. Yeah, so so the trick with scale insects is that the, the bit that you see, and, and sorry, the scale you've got, is it the brown one or that really sort of yucky white one? That it's you, white. Yeah, well, that's Big a terrible... little balls of white. Yeah, now that is an absolutely terrible one, that one. Uh, so that's not really the scale insect. Well, it is the scale, but the, the scale insect that is doing the damage is actually hiding in underneath that little sort of waxy residue coating that it's created over the top of itself. Right. So in order for the chemical to work, it needs to break down through that terrible mushy white stuff for brown scale. You know, there's whole you know different varieties of scale, and it needs to break down through that to take the chemical to the actual insect in there. So you've used uh, some some sort of oil. You said um, sunflower, just a natural white oil. Yeah, so sunflower oil, and then the. Um dishwash detergent. Yeah, so look, that that can have, you know, some effect if you haven't got a bad case or that particularly bad white one. But then you said you use Malathon, yes. and by itself it won't really have, uh, you know, too much uh, luck getting rid of that scar. You actually have to use the Malathon with some white oil uh, because what happens then, the white oil breaks down that waxy coating and it takes the Malathon poison with it and that's what actually kills the scale insect. So what I would get do is uh, get some malathon, get some white oil. Yes, uh, just don't make... use the natural one. Use one that you buy. Yes, uh, yes. and you used to be able to get you know scale insect killer, which was a mixture of white oil and, and malathon together. But mm. you can just do it yourself. Uh, you get uh, you know your liter of water or whatever you're going to mix up, and you yes. put in what you need to make up uh, a liter of water of malathon into that, and then you also put what you need to make up a liter of water of white oil in, and then go spray very very liberally to try and get rid of that. Now, the second prong that you need, the second limb that you need to get rid of here mm. uh, is also the sooty mould because that's doing quite a lot of damage to the plant. It's coating yes. the leaves. So the, yep. You know, the, the photosynthesis rate is starting to slow down, uh, becomes more susceptible to scale. All of a sudden, you know, you're, you're on fire spiralling from, you know, 10,000 feet yes. uh, with two engines down. Uh, so you need to be, you know, really diligent about that. Get some uh, copper oxychloride. Uh, it's a fungicide. 
and mix that up and spray that on as well. Now, firstly, I would do the, the scale spray and then the next day go and use your fungus spray uh, and then repeat again probably in a week or two weeks' time. Right. Now, the most important thing is being very liberal with that uh, Malathon white oil mixture mm. uh, so that it's running all down the plant and it's actually starting to soak into that uh, that big white waxy scale and start and and break down the uh, the actual shell of it. Right. So it's copper copper oxide. Yeah, copper oxychloride. It's a fungicide. Chloride. Okay. Yeah, and the white oil and the malathion. Right. Oh, okay. Thank you. The, That's all right. But fortunately, the sooty mold's not quite as bad. Yeah. Look, yeah. It, but it can really take off. You have to be very careful and keep that under control. Yeah. Is there any possibility that putting the from the washing machine can have an effect on your shrubs because I did that in that dry period. Uh, look, no. The only the only thing is that uh, I, I wouldn't overuse you know washing machine water uh, because it, you know it does have that that, that soap in there, different chemicals yes. that make up that soap. Mm. Uh, you know, you might use it once a week or so, and then just otherwise use normal water. Yes, yes. Fortunately, we've had good rain. Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. Thank you very much, Scott. Okay. Thank you, Pam. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Cheers, thanks, Pam. Regarding talkback on 2NURFM, time's almost up for another week, but before you leave us, Scott, you mentioned at the top of the hour, cherry blossoms. Yes, cherry blossoms. Uh, it's the time to head to your garden centre and pick one. You can get them in weeping varieties, uh, just specimen trees. Look, they're fairly quick growing. Uh, they make a really beautiful shade tree. Uh, you get autumn colour, but the main thing is at this time of year, they come out into flower and uh, you get that really spectacular uh, you know, array of pinks, uh, reds you can get on them as well. They look really beautiful. Uh, they need a, a deep, well-drained uh, position, sunny position. Okay. Um, so very easy to look after in those conditions. They don't really like going into the shade. They also don't like uh, waterlogged soil or, you know, if it starts to get too hot or humid, it does here for a couple of months of the year. But uh, generally, it will, you know, they'll handle it here in Newcastle quite well. Uh, their peak is in spring when they get all those beautiful flowers all over them. So now's the time to... It is the time. Remember, if you're going to Japan anytime, well, not anytime soon, <laughs> but it's always the opposite. So in a couple of years' time. In a couple of years' time. So you have to go over there for their spring in Kyoto and have a look at their beautiful cherry blossoms. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.